Welcome to your area. And we're, today we're here with Vince Bryant, who's the founder of 3D Development. Uh, if you spend any time in Crossroads, you undoubtedly have seen his projects um, that get progressively bigger and more creative. We, uh, we're sitting here with him today uh, during COVID-19. Uh, actually, today is the, the first day Kansas City's back open. And before we get into your projects, I, I just was curious as a developer and an owner of real estate, what have you been doing? What have been your biggest challenges over the past two months? Sure. I think, um, first of all, for me personally, I'm still going to the same office every day, you know, one person office. And I used to say, if the world would just stand still for a couple of weeks, I'll be able to get caught up. And now, of course, it's right. been more than a couple of weeks. And I can almost say that I am caught up, which is, I haven't been able to say that in five years. So the only positive to this downtime at all has been, it's allowed me to really get caught up and focus. Um, we've been very fortunate with our existing buildings and tenants paying rent. Most of our companies are, let's say, architects doing government projects or schools where that work hasn't stopped or haven't, hasn't been put on hold or pause. We have a high-tech tenant that um, consults for cloud computing, you know, major multi-million dollar company that probably is growing right now, even though they're at home. So it's been lonely at our office building. It's been very quiet, but um, we haven't seen the economic effects yet. We've planned for them. We have um, the ability to defer principal with our banks if we need to for a period of time. So we're ready if, if let's say, there's a relapse or another shutdown. Um, in our development projects, so those are existing buildings, property management, et cetera. In our development projects, we're um, right in the middle of the KC Star project, Grand Place, as you know. We're under construction. Construction really hasn't been affected. It's been a you know a vital business um, um, classification. So we continue to push on that. We are seeing um, kind of a pause on any tenants making big commitments during this time. We were close to I think a couple of deals, um, and those now are a few months out. We 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 think overall though we'll get those deals. It's just. There's, there's a lot of hesitancy out there. Banks are waiting a little bit. <clears throat> Big tenants are waiting a little bit to make a commitment. And um, so we're hoping that, A, when people come back, um, we, go, we don't go into another period of right. lockdown and more illness and spreading and all that. Your, your uh, projects do attract um, tech-oriented companies. Um, and what I've found is tech is actually doing pretty well from home, but they're saying it doesn't work. We need to get back in the office as soon as possible. It's just a question of when they come back, yeah. right? And, and I think it'll change <clears throat> things. We're trying to anticipate what it might change. You know, um, uh, a lot of our tenants have informed us they're going to come back in waves. So different group coming in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then it's coming in on Tuesday, Thursday, and maybe Saturday. They're being, our tenants are being very proactive and very precautious about putting their workers in harm. So even though they can come back, they're not flooding the right. flooding downtown to come back yet. Uh, a lot of them are waiting till June 1st just to see the, <clears throat> the first couple of weeks happen. So, um, you know, we hear all kinds of things. And there was a CBRE report out, you know, this week that talked about, um, you know, it's gone from retail to now office and there's, you know, all these concerns. And, you know, those concerns are legitimate. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of business owners that realize we can work from home and we've been productive. But I think 
if I'm working from home, if you're working from home, there's a lot of distractions. And if you're an employer, you want your people focused on their job at hand. So there may be, let's say, 20% of that workforce that's going to rotate in and not be there every day. But I also think the trend for design, which has been really efficient use of space, you know, so 350 square feet a person to 250 down to 150, some people less than that. I think that's going to trend the other way now. And there's companies already looking for that, uh, those types of spaces. So I would say those two things could end up washing each other. I don't think it's going to get better. And I hope and don't think that it will get worse. But I, I think it, it does make you plan for what if something happens, whether it's this fall or five years from now, how can you make your building stronger, better? And yeah, that's that's another question I have. I mean, you're um, you're very design focused, and you you use design to uh, really uh, push rates. Great design, you've proven out that if you have a great design, you can charge more for it. People will appreciate it, uh, and your tenants will stay longer. Um, what what if anything are you thinking about in terms of the design of your future projects that uh, that that relate back to what we're going through right now to create uh, wellness and safe buildings for tenants. Yeah, I think uh, I've tried to design quality buildings and let profitability follow quality. I've tried to create amenity spaces. You know, when we were some of the first rooftop amenity spaces, now lots of people have rooftops. But um, each building to me is an opportunity to set the next stage. And it's not I'm trying to one-up the last building. I'm trying to make smart decisions. When I have a, a building shell that's cleared all the way down to the bones, and I have the ability for new water services, new electric services, new HVAC, HVAC that's the time to think about, okay, what's next? You know, LEED was what was there, let's say, five years ago. We were some of the first, you know, LEED-type buildings. We were building energy efficient, whether that's uh, Daikin heating and cooling systems. We have solar installations at all of our buildings right now. Um, so we've been on the forefront, I think, of LEED and certainly design and amenities. What we had already planned on for the STAR is being Kansas City's first well-designated building. So just as LEED uh, handles green development and sustainability, well is the next level. And I feel fortunate that we have already been focused on that. We're not just inventing it now in the time of this pandemic, and, and so we're prepared for it. So Grand Place will be the first well building we know of in Missouri, certainly office. And well is certified by USGBC as well as other entities. But what I like about that is the same company or the same certification you're getting for LEED is the same certifier as well. So to me, it's more legitimate. It means it means more. And what we found, uh, the same thing I found with LEED, you know, trying to be green and trying to be energy efficient, it's not always you're going to spend a super premium to get there. You're just going to spend more time and energy, a few more people at your design table to make sure you're doing it right. Well is the same way. If you have a building shell and you're bringing water to, all of your piping is gone and you're, you're distributing water throughout. Well, it doesn't cost that much more, let's say 20 grand for a $75 million project to put a water filtration system in right at the source and then distribute that water in brand new pipes in a fil filtered fashion. So what we found with Well is there are a lot of the decisions that you should be making anyway. Um, it, it's water filtration, it's air quality, therefore air filtration. 
Daikin heating and cooling systems, which we were the first to buy in 2013 uh, to in install in our Broadway building, our first development. We were Daikin's first system downtown in office. And that those are 30% less electric. They're, you know, state-of-the-art, very green, very um, efficient. Luckily for us, they also have this great level of filtration that you can add and you can get to the high standards of air quality and well just by adding the filter to the Steichen system. So Grand Place will have filtered water, filtered air. Um, well is all about natural light. And as you've seen from the tour of Grand Place, we have great big windows, but we also have these gigantic skylights in a lot of the space. The whole building is about natural light. you didn't even light. know about when you bought it. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah. I think that let's go to that for a minute because yeah. I think um, the design process for you is dynamic. It's changing. You know, one week you'll show me something and then the next week it's totally changed. Uh -huh. It's it's very dynamic process for you. And the process of designing Grand Place has been interesting because you really didn't start designing until you demoed out the building because you right. didn't know what you had. We've learned that from the very beginning. You know, <clears throat> when we first bought Broadway, my partner uh, I was like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, first thing I do, I got to get all the stuff out of the way so we can see what we have, you know. And you, you always have ideas. You, you can see it in your mind. You may have sketched it on paper. But um, I have the benefit, good fortune, of when I walk into a volume of space, I usually can understand how it should lay out three-dimensionally. Um, the star was harder than any building. You know, we bought Corrigan. We could go to one of the vacant floors and it had ceiling tiles gone and we could really understand, wow, this could be great. Let's demo this floor first and see what all the other floors can look like. So by demoing a building before you design, it's, it's valuable for many reasons. One is you see what you have, you know what, you know what features to highlight. Your architects, engineers can see what you have and therefore there's not a lot of surprises in the design and therefore in the construction. Your construction crews walk through uh, to bid the project. They're walking through a totally empty, cleared out building. There's not, well, if this and this and this is behind that wall or behind that ceiling, we're going to run into problems. So I get better pricing from contractors walking through a totally demoed site that's clean and organized before they start a project. You know, especially It's like, it's like bidding a job in first-generation space. I mean, yeah. they, the bids always come in lower because there's, there's less risk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So uh, just take a few seconds and, and kind of give us your vision of Grand Place and what, what's going to be there um, for the office tenant. It's going to be an extraordinary environment mm -hmm. um, in the middle of what is already an extraordinary environment. Um, there's going to be a great culinary experience there, really unique, cool office space, um, great parking um, talk a little bit about it. Sure. I mean, I could probably talk about seven elements of it for 20 minutes. You know, it, it, it's you when you think and conceive about it, you also don't put yourself in the reality that it can all happen. You know, it's not till the end you say, wow, you know, there's really a spa and a, a market and a rooftop patio and a club room and the plaza to the side, you know, all these things that are important. Bill, to me, Jarvis Hunt designed this building, turn of the century. You know, I'm not going to question how he chose to display it. So our first goals are to go back to how the original architect perceived that shell and the building. And, of course, we're using it differently, but the history is important. Um, to me, what's exciting about the Grand Place project or the old KC Star is 
it, we're able to achieve next level types of amenities and presentations and atmosphere that, you know, this building gives us at other buildings and give us the opportunity. For instance, it comes with two acres of land. The south parcel, you're going to have a small little boulevard and plaza that you can pull in. You have this grand sense of entry because I'm not dropping people off on a public street. You pull into a little private boulevard, loading, unloading, people dropping off, some VIP type parking. So it's the most grand sense of entry that, you know, I think you're going to have in a downtown office setting. Um, we've always done rooftops and we have a 5,000 square foot rooftop patio, perfectly fortunate that it faces the view. It's surrounded by ter pitched terracotta roof lines. It's just a great atmosphere and structurally it was there. I'm not having to build it. it I'm taking advantage of how the building was presented. Um, we have a club room right below that, the same size. We're going to do in the club room, full service breakfast and full service lunch for our office tenants. So, uh, you know, crazy ideas like East Coast and West Coast companies might have where they have their own private dining hall for an Amazon or, you know, uh, such. We're going to do that for the tenants in the building. So it's tenants and their guests only, and it's only about 150 seats. But that club room, I think, is going to be an important part of doing business in the building. You know, I feel like the, the, the breakfast lunch and the breakfast dinner has kind of gone by the wayside. This is a place for people to meet, talk business, furniture spatially arranged so you're not hearing what the next guy is saying at the table next to you. So it's just where can you go for a breakfast meeting and a lunch meeting inside of an office complex by invitation only? Or Yeah, I think you know what's extraordinary about it is if you look at um, new office buildings being built in the suburbs, one-off office buildings off an expressway, or a new you know building on the Country Club Plaza, the rates aren't any different. Right. There's so much value that's being uh, – created with all these amenities and you're really not paying a premium right. for it. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've, we have had each building in succession kind of be the new top of the market. That's really not the goal with the star. We'll range from $25 a square foot to 32, you know, Corrigan range from 25 to 32. So this is, let's say four years after Corrigan, but it's not, you know, 20% higher. So I like having a good mixture of tenants. Some of our higher price spaces is because it's not an 11-foot volume. It's a 40-foot volume of space. So we're heating and cooling that volume. Right. And, of course, that comes at a higher cost. <clears throat> so, um, yeah. You know, the uh, let's go to new construction because that, that's kind of the next phase for you. Mm -hmm. um, Corgan 2 was the first really spec office building down, if you take the entire downtown, since 1991. It was the first spec office building or office new office building in Crossroads probably since – the TWA headquarters, mm -hmm. which was, what, 1961 or something like that. Um, and now uh, you are acquiring uh, the Superior Wheaton site at 20th and Main. Um, and you're going to be doing what you always have done, which is uh, renovating really phenomenal brick-and-timber freight buildings mm -hmm. um, to office, hotel, whatever. Um, but you're also going to do ground-up office mm -hmm in a big way. Um, talk about it. It's a 17-acre <laughs> site, right? It's uh, the whole um, freight house development district that we created. 17 parcels, sorry. That's yeah, right. and it's 11.6 acres. The acres that we're affecting are in the five, six-acre range, but still a lot, of, a lot of property, especially right in the middle of downtown. Um, I'm very leery of developing anything new. You know, I've, I've had 
historical great stock of buildings. They usually tell me how they want to be developed and you follow that plan. Um, the first little building, you mentioned the, the 19th and Main new development at Corrigan Station, you know, uh, it was all about not competing with the historic building. You know, I, I think I think we ended up at a really good spot, but there was a lot of angst about what is it, what are the exterior materials, how much glass, how many floors, how does that top floor differ from the second floor? Um, do we park in the first floor? Or do we make more retail? So uh, I think we ended up with something that fits and complements Corrigan. You know, it's a three-story building versus a 11-story building. It's dark black zinc fins, vertical fins that I think turned out really great. But there was a lot of it looks 70, good in the model. It looks it's got kind of a 70s mm -hmm. vibe to it, doesn't it? Has a great little third floor outdoor patio off of a common club room. It has a second floor patio underneath that. I, I think we and you and once again you've you've got a culinary experience there. You've got Michael Corvino, mm -hmm. who uh, is a James Beard Award winning chef. Uh, in the base of Corrigan, and then you brought him outside now, and you've got an, a hamburger place that he's he's mm -hmm. going to be running in the in the courtyard. Right. That that combination of a great culinary experience with office seems to be in its early stages as a trend for for high end office. Yeah, I, I'm pretty excited. We have yet to really open this what we're calling Corrigan Park space between the two projects. So you've got the historic building, the new building. And you have this kind of leftover alleyway space between the two. So we tried to honor the topography difference between the two buildings. We created an outdoor space that has a, a couple of levels. We added this kind of almost like food truck yet outdoor food kiosk. And uh, it's just a great, it feels like a residential, you know, um, little park space. And it really is a pocket park. That development is so... Um, concrete in that, you know, these are zero lot line buildings and corners and there's not any yard or green space and very little planting. So it's this kind of green oasis just off off of Maine or off of Walnut that I think people can either from the building or from the public can go relax, have lunch, read a book, work outside. And uh, that's what we should expect of ourselves. You know, we try to do green things, certainly on roofs, but this was the first time we could do it on the first level. And, and the star will follow that up and do it to a much larger extent with that plaza. So the star is a ninety-five million dollar project, and yeah. the uh, the the Wheaton site is a three hundred fifty million dollar project, right? Yeah, you know, people say the numbers, and it, it you know, to me, it sounds crazy, but uh, <laughs> what it really is is a love of historic buildings. That that area started by here's seventy thousand square feet of two historical brick buildings. One is wood timber framed, three stories. One is concrete and brick, five stories. I, I Honestly, they are much nicer than what I thought they were, even as we bought them. I've spent more time in them. We started to design. We started to build our model. And what it really comes down to is just like my first two projects down there. We had Broadway, which was 45,000 square feet, Creamery, which was 31,000 square feet. This is like those two buildings, yet right next to each other sharing a common wall. So I take those two projects and in each project I had to build all new stairwells, all new elevator chases and fill in the old stairwells. Here there's one stair that can work for both buildings to connect to as an egress stair. So I'm building one new stair and one elevator bank and one patio club room rooftop for both buildings. So I have a lot of experience doing exactly what we're doing there. 
And the other thing I'm excited about is these buildings have been storage forever, so since the 60s at least and maybe longer. Um, so they're not full of stuff. The Star, we spent two years of demolition and $3 million, which is crazy, to empty out the building, all the things that were added mm -hmm. over time, just to get it back to the raw shell and then put it back together. Uh, that's a lot more than I expected to spend and a lot more time than I expected to spend, but it's worth it. Um, this building, uh, the superior buildings, we're going to leave more raw and more industrial. And the plan is to have a price point that's lower. So 20 to $25 a square foot instead of 25 to 32. So that, and probably ask for terms that aren't 10 year terms. Our goal is with superior to attract younger companies fast-growing companies that don't know where they're going to be in four years. So we'll, we'll, we'll do shorter-term leases, and we will have a lower price points on purpose and make it more industrial and more raw and, and really highlight the history of storage. I mean, we're leaving the old bin numbers on the wood um, columns and beams and just kind of keeping it raw and industrial. But it's going to still have a rooftop patio. It's going to have a, a, a Rathskeller-like basement wine bar and restaurant on the first floor with an outdoor patio on the old loading dock. You know, you go back to uh, the beginning of the, the renaissance of Crossroads, which really goes back to the late 90s. Um, people like Susie Aaron, John O'Brien, who owned the Dolphin Gallery, uh, Jim Leedy, uh, artist and owner of real estate, uh, and his galleries are there. And then Brad Nicholson. Brad really was that first developer mm -hmm. that came to Crossroads and did things in a in a really high quality way. Where did your, where who are some of your influences? I mean, sure. Well, I think you didn't mention Tom Levitt there, and I never met Tom. We ended up buying a couple of his buildings, and you know, unfortunately, he didn't leave. To, he didn't live to see you know what Crossroads could become, and he owned at one point fifteen or so buildings down there. Um, so Brad, uh, you know, is definitely an influence and, you know, you never know Brad owns a building to call about it and find out, you know, through someone that Brad actually owns it still. Um, um, but, you know, Susie Aaron has been like an adoptive mother for me. You know, she, she's the Jewish banner I never had. That's what, that's what I always call her. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I mean, I, it started really, I started, for some reason, I had an attraction to the crowd. Well, we know why I had an attraction to Crossroads, but. I really focused on the crossroads versus any other area. And I started seeing all these green and white signs, which had Susie's name on them. And so when I first started inquiring about buildings, um, we, we asked her questions. She showed me around and, you know, she's still climbing up and down ladders, going on rooftops and, and doing tours. So um, she's been heavily influential and valuable and just, you know, she's just someone who gives back to leading the, Crossroads Association and all the good work that Crossroads does. Um, she's just tireless and she's a great advocate and property owner, stakeholder as well. Thank you, Vince. Yeah, absolutely.